I want to welcome you again to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are so glad that you're with us this morning. We're continuing on in um, our series where we're walking through uh, the Gospel of John, and we're about halfway through the book at this point, about halfway through, and so we got a little, way, a little ways to go, but we are, uh, we are cranking through this. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Father, I pray now as we... Um, dig into your word. As we look at your word, I pray that we would remember, but these are your very words, that you have revealed yourself to humanity um, primarily through your word, and your word tells us about your son. And I pray as we look at this passage today about uh, your son and how you are involved in your son's work, I pray that you would change us. You would change our minds. You would change our hearts, you would change what we desire, you would change how we live when we leave this place. You would challenge us, but you would also comfort us where we need to be comforted today. And Father, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I hope I said it, but my name's Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If I haven't met you before, I would love to meet you. So if you have time after the service, I'd love for you to stick around and uh, would love to just say hi um, face-to-face with you. So what we're going to look at today, this chapter, this the part of the chapter that Jay just read, is a continuation from the first half of chapter 10, which is not a surprise, right? Jesus, um, last week we saw Jesus talking about this idea of being a good shepherd. And it's interesting, he qualifies shepherd with good, meaning that there are shepherds out there who are not good, right? Who maybe are looking after their own interests. But this shepherd, Jesus, is a good shepherd. And there were two things that Blake looked at last week and showed us, two primary things. One, um, this good shepherd Jesus um, is the gateway, is the entry point for our salvation. That's number one. He's the entry point into the gate, which is our salvation. And also, he is a good shepherd in that he lays down his life for the sheep. Not every shepherd will do this, but a good shepherd will. And he is the good shepherd And he lays down his life for the sheep. And in this imagery, we are the sheep, his people, followers of Jesus. He lays down his life for sinners who would become followers of Jesus. In the next part of this chapter, um, he brings, primarily he spoke of himself in the first part of the chapter. In the second part of the chapter, he actually brings God the Father into this conversation about being the good Shepherd. So today we're going to look at this idea of the Trinity. We're going to go a little deep today looking at God, God's relationship with the Son and how that works out. And so really the point of today's sermon is that the triune God, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, has a special relationship with his sheep. It's a special relationship. And we'll see the people looking on and, and, and listening to what Jesus taught. They don't understand that. They don't get that. And Jesus tells them why. Now, I want to say before we jump into this, that if I was going to say that the doctrine of the Trinity, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, and, 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 all, and how all that fits together, if I were to say that that doctrine is one of, if not the most important doctrines for your life and how you lived as a follower of Jesus, what would you say to that? Would you agree with me? Would you be thinking, no, I don't know if it's that important. And I want to say, and I want to try to persuade you that it is. It is that important. So much of our, what we believe, flows back up into the Trinity. 
This idea that, that, there, that, that, that there is one God and three persons in the Trinity. In my experience with kind of the doctrine and deeper things of God, I, I, when I became a Christian at age 17, I came a, a Christian into a kind of a community and a, and a culture that wasn't, um, there, there wasn't valued to dig into the Word. It really wasn't valued to go deeper and try to understand and wrestle with the, the difficult things of the faith and the mysteries of the gospel. It wasn't uh, spoken against, it just wasn't valued. So for the first five years or so of my Christian walk and following Jesus, I didn't really have any idea about the, the harder questions and something like the Trinity. I wouldn't have been able to, to really talk about it much. But I promise you, and I guarantee you, that it directly affects how you live. We believe here at Providence Road that the, 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 the deeper you dig into the things of God, into the mysteries of God, that opens up your capacity to love him and experience him and know him at a deeper level. In today's passage, we're going to see the direct connection between this super kind of heady doctrine of the Trinity and how it affects the way we live as sheep and our comfort and our protection and all those things that comes with being a sheep under the good shepherd. So let's jump in. John 10, starting in verse 22. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So first kind of point here, that kind of marker that John gives us is the Feast of Dedication. Some people call this the Feast of Renewal. It's also referred to as Hanukkah. Maybe you've heard um, that more, um, more frequently than the other two. And this is a, an observance or a celebration when the temple, um, the holy place of God's people, the Jews, was um, was reconsecrated after it was desecrated. It had been desecrated in the year 165 BC by the Romans, and then it was reconsecrated, rebuilt, and this is the marking or the celebration of that day that it was actually um, re reconsecrated to the people of, uh, of, uh, of Israel, right? So this is a day that they remember every year, right? The Feast of Renewal, the Feast of Dedication. And John also mentions it's wintertime. Kind of an interesting phrase he throws in there, and most commentators think that, that, that this could be deeper than just marking like the time of year. John oftentimes throws these little words in, and he could actually mean kind of the feel of what was happening around him. It was, it was, there was a sense of coldness. There was a sense of, of, th of, of things lacking growth. Maybe things were a little bit dark and shadowy in the world around them at this time. And, and as we get further into John, I think that plays out. Look at verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. It's interesting, Jesus, especially you see in the Gospels, always uh, seems to reveal just enough about himself to make faith possible, right? but also hides just enough of himself to make that faith necessary. Right? So Jesus is always walking this line where people are like, tell me more so I can understand, but then that takes some faith out of the picture, so he kind of leaves things hanging a lot, so we would have to have some faith in what he is saying. And this is a surprising phrase when he talks about sheep and belief, right? You'd expect him to say, you are not my sheep because... Um, because you do not believe, right? That's what you, we would expect him to say, that you are not my sheep because you do not believe. But he flips that statement, and that's significant. 
he's basically saying that being a sheep leads to belief. He said, you do not believe because you're not one of my sheep. It's an interesting flip there that he does that gets at the heart of what it means to be a sheep under the shepherd. Let's look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, these four verses, I believe, are the most important verses in this passage, and we're going to come back to them and really dig into them more. But I want to keep going um, because what we're about to see is going to set up those four verses a little bit more. Verse 31. So, verse 30, if you go back to it, he says, I and the Father are one. Okay, so he makes that statement, right? And then, in verse 31, we know that sets the Jews off, right? They cannot believe that Jesus has just said that I and the Father are one. Their God, the one they look to, the one they worship, the one their scriptures are written about, and Jesus is now saying that they are one. Not just that, that he's his Father, but they are one. And of course, there, verse 31, not a shocker, the Jews picked up the stones. I mean, they were, this, they were so close to killing him in this moment. They picked up the stones again to stone him right there on the spot. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? So he's like, okay, just now are you going to like get mad about this? I've been healing people. I've been doing these things in front of you. And so which pick one, right? Which one are you going to stone me for? Um, verse 33, the Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, a lot of people in our day and age, when they talk about Jesus' claims, they will say, Jesus never claimed to be God. And that's false. We see it here. It was clear that the reason why they were wanting to kill Jesus all along, primarily it was because he was equating himself with God. And that was blasphemous. You just did not do that in the Jewish religion. Right? He said, Nobody would ever make a claim to be equal with God that was worth stoning. And it was clear. And that is why they wanted to kill him. They also didn't primarily want to kill him for being too loving. Although they, they didn't like that he was drawn to the outcasts and the marginalized, but that wasn't primarily why they killed him. He also wasn't primarily killed for messing with the pol current political establishment, although he did that, and they didn't like that. Jesus was killed primarily because he claimed to be God, and that was blasphemy to the Jewish leaders. And this is what separates Jesus from all other belief systems, right? Like the, a lot of the formal belief systems will have a place for Jesus, and it's, and it's actually a, an esteemed place oftentimes, a good place, a teacher or a prophet. Um, but what separates um, Christianity from the other belief systems is that Jesus is actually God, and he claimed that. And that's important because here in a few weeks we'll get to John 14 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he's able to make that claim because he is God. That's what separates Christianity from all other formal belief systems. But this also gets, it, gets personal for us as well. Because all of us have this tendency to take Jesus, co-opt Jesus, and make him about what, what, what we're ever about. Right? So if we have a cause, if we're passionate about something, if we want to get people to do something, we're really quick to bring Jesus into that saying, oh yeah, Jesus is about this too. And then we co-opt him to kind of be the, 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 the fan or the, the, the figurehead of whatever cause we want to be about. The, maybe the best example and the darkest example of this is, is the Nazis. 
In, in Germany in the 30s and 40s, the Nazis thought Jesus was a Nazi. They thought Jesus was a good Nazi, and they co-opted him to give them legitimacy to the horrible movement that they would, that they would do. But we're all prone to this. We're all guilty of this. We need to make sure that we are clear on who Jesus is primarily, and we're not co-opting him to be a part of what we want things to be like or the belief system we want to be about. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the world, the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. This is a little confusing really quickly how this, what he's saying here. So it's an argument from kind of the lesser to the greater. So there are places in the scriptures, the holy book that all the people arguing with him would have considered holy that actually call people gods, little g, rulers, authorities occasionally because scripture was given to them and they were able to, 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 uh, to have power with that scripture. So he's saying the scriptures that you hold most, most dearly, that, 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 that God wrote to you, and there's, there, you're, you're, you're esteeming humans in your particular scriptures. How can you now say the one who gave you those scriptures sent me and you're not willing to believe in the things I do? He's saying, how if you can believe in that, how can you not believe in me, the one that God has sent to do these things you've seen me do? Okay? There's a historical precedence for this. And that's why um, there's a, a little quote from Psalm 82 in there. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Verse 37. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. See this language of the Trinity there. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Verse 40. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And he came to him, and they said, John did no sign, this is John the Baptist now, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. So in this passage, let's, let's note that there are two, two groups of people throughout this passage that are interacting with Jesus. Primarily, we see mostly the, the Jewish leaders, the authorities there, listening to Jesus, arguing to Jesus, exchanging words with Jesus. Uh, and that particular group of people can't get on board with Jesus. They can't believe in him. They don't understand what's going on. And Jesus tells him that, tells him that because you're not my sheep. You don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. That's what he tells them. Then you have this other group, and we just see them in these last two verses, verses 41 and 42, that across the river, Jesus goes into a town called Bethany, where the audience would have been more of a general population there, and, and they believed. It said many believe there. So one audience wants to make Jesus into something he's not. They already have an idea of who Jesus is, whose God is. They're coming, they're bringing that to the table, and Jesus is like, you're not, you're not one of my sheep. You don't believe. You're not believing. I'm showing you miracles. I'm teaching you. I'm revealing the Father to you, and yet you do not believe. And this other group of people seem, at least from what we can tell, humble. Like they're seeing it, they're believing it, and they're following Jesus. They're becoming disciples of him, they're his, which is, is, a, is a sign that they are his sheep. Also note the, the shout-out to John the Baptist. I love it. In, in, in 41, it said, John did no sign but everything that John said about this man was true. So remember, John the Baptist from earlier in the letter, right? 
And he's saying all these things about Jesus. Jesus hasn't even come yet. But now the people around who know John the Baptist and have seen Jesus, they've watched Jesus. They've heard him teach. They've seen him do miracles. And, and they're like, yeah. Yeah, I remember when John the Baptist was talking about this guy. And yes, everything John the Baptist said about him is true. What a testimony that, that hopefully that's our testimony, right? When people talk about us, that everything about Jesus is true that came out of his mouth. Well, I don't want us, I don't want us to miss that because we don't hear about John the Baptist too much um, after that first part of the letter. Now, let's go back to verse 27 through 30. I mentioned that this is kind of the meat of the passage, so I want to spend the rest of our time here. And I want to start in verse 28 and, and, and do 28, 29, 30, and then we'll go back to 27, and you'll see why here in a second. So verse 28 says, I give them eternal life, and I have some words underlined in there just for the emphasis on what, what Jesus is giving us here, right? I give them eternal life, one, and they will never perish, two, and three, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Three amazing things that Jesus gives us in that moment and when this teaching. Verse 29, my father, so now he brings God into this, God the father, my father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. Now think of it. If, if you're there, if you've been following this, and you're in the audience in this, and you've seen Jesus do these miraculous things, and he's blowing you away with just his, this guy's different. His, he's teaching like the best rabbi ever, but he also has this power that he's, that he's exercising, and he seems to care about the marginalized, and you're kind of caught up in, in wanting to know more and more about Jesus. And then he says these three things. He goes, I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. Or spiritually, they shall never die. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Again, back to the shepherd imagery, right? They get, they get shepherd imagery. So again, he's going back to that imagery saying, no one's going to take my sheep away from me. No one's going to come in in the night and take them away from me and lead them down another path. My sheep are my sheep, and they're not going anywhere. That would have that, that's a lot of weight there, and you would have been really probably wanting to follow Jesus, leaning in. Tell me more, Jesus. And then in verse 29, he goes a step further, and he says, my father is actually involved, this, involved in this too. He says, my father, who has given them to me. So the father gives Jesus, us, the sheep, and he is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And so now he gives us some insight into the Trinity. Right? Remember, these people would have thought very highly of, of God the Father, right? The creator God, right? He's, he's big and he's, he's, he's Yahweh, right? And now that Jesus is saying, I'm equal to him and we are one, and it is blowing their minds. And Jesus here has some humility. He's saying, if you think I'm strong and I'm great and I'm powerful, think about that God the Father in his hand. So not only are we held by, in Jesus' hand, we're also held in God the Father's hand, right? Two members of the Trinity have us. They're holding us. And I want to put up briefly, this is a, a little part of the Nicene Creed, just to give us a little taste of the Trinity. Um, this is what the Nicene Creed says about the Trinity. And, I, and I've, I've skipped around a little bit just to give us, um, it would take too long to read the whole thing. But it says, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. And, and so we, this, is a, this is a creed from 
thousands of years ago, the early church, when they were, when they were trying to come up with what is the Trinity? How do we explain the Trinity? Because all of these people had different ideas of, of Jesus, who he was, who God was. How does the God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, how do they fit together? And so you get some of these creeds start coming out of teaching what it actually is. And the next here is a picture. The Trinity is really hard to, un, really hard to understand. But to me, this is the best picture that I've seen to, to, to begin to try to understand it, right? So you start in the middle with God, and then you follow the is's, right? The three is's. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But then you go to the outside, the Holy Spirit is not the Son, right? The Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. So there's distinctions within the Trinity, but all three of them are God. And this is called the Trinity Shield. You can Google it and search images. It's called the Trinity Shield. This will pop up. Right? And this is a very helpful way to understand when we hear either God come up in the Scriptures or one of the members of the Trinity mentioned in the Scriptures. This is a great kind of tool to think through how this is fitting together. Right? But again, we still don't completely understand it. So just because you have this little picture here doesn't mean you're going to understand everything about the Trinity. This is a mystery, and it's meant to kind of blow our minds, I think. Right? We just don't fully understand it. But that doesn't mean we should try to understand who God is in these three persons and how they, how they are all over the scriptures. So um, you can go ahead and take that down. So let's look at verse 27. Right? So we set up the Trinity. In verse 30, we see that, 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 that phrase, and I and the Father are one. Crazy phrase there. I mean, that's like scandalous that he is now equating himself with God. Okay? And now listen to verse 27. So this is, this is why the sheep respond like they do, right? And here's three underlined phrases there. My sheep do three things. They hear my voice, and I know them, and conversely, we know him, and they follow me. Three things, very simple, Jesus lays out here. Now, if we go back to one of Paul's teachings in Colossians 3, he, he kind of echoes this but teases us out a little more. Colossians 3.1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Right, so, so, so pursue the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In verse 2, again, he says, set your minds, that's what we're to do, on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And then verse 3, why should we do this? Because, or for, you have died, and listen, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now think about the imagery that John 10 gives us of, of us being in the Father's and the Son's hands. But if I have something in my hand like a coin and hold it out, it's hidden. Like you can't see it. So in, this, in, in, what, in what Paul's doing, he's saying, for you have died. Your, your old life is gone, the new has come, and your new life is hidden. It's hidden by God's hand and Christ's hand. And that's an amazing truth. If we just, if we just rest in that, right? So our, our salvation, it's hidden. Our protection, we're hidden. Our security, we're hidden. We're hidden by Jesus, and we're hidden by God. Now, one thing I noticed this week that I hadn't really noticed before is it says, Paul says, in your life is hidden with Christ, which, yeah, union with Christ, we get that. But he also says, in God. So, again, there, Paul is, you little, drop a little nugget of the Trinity there, right? Your life is hidden not, with, not just with Christ, but also in God. Again, you can just spend hours just thinking about that. What does that mean? How does that affect me? How does that change the way I live? How does that change the way I feel towards Jesus? Now, let's go back to verse 27, okay, with that kind of some background. Now, these three things, hear my voice, 
I know them, and they follow me. These three things can really be a summary of what it means to be a disciple. You could build a whole like curriculum of how to follow Jesus just off of those three ideas. It's a pretty good summary here in just one verse. But before we look at the three of these as a disciple of Jesus would, I want to go through the three of them and briefly look at what it means to not follow Jesus in this area. Or what it means to follow um, the, the thief that comes in to, to seek, kill, and destroy that John says. Okay, So to first, hear my voice. We hear so many voices in our given day and in our minds. Not just audible voices, but that, that soundtrack that plays over and over in our minds. The little whispers that play like in the loop in our minds. Things like, you need that. You really should, you really should get that. Or you should look like that. You don't look pretty enough. They don't really love you. You will, you will never be good enough. Your kids will fall behind the other kids. You're missing out. You don't measure up. God doesn't love you. God doesn't want your good. He can't be trusted. Again, these are the voices, if we don't have God's voice, the voice of Jesus, the voice of the scriptures playing in our minds, we will go here. I think all of us in this room, if, they, if you were to admit, we have heard one of these voices I just mentioned. And there, there's hundreds of voices, right? And we hear these, we can't get out of our head, we don't like them, they play on loop, and it oftentimes controls us. It steals our joy, it gives us anxiety, it makes us fearful. And so what do we do? Well, we, we try to get rid of them. No one likes these voices, even if they're, 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 we know they're wrong, even though they're hard to not listen to, we don't like them. They often, make it, they often make us anxious and fearful. So what do we do? We want to numb ourselves. We want those voices to stop. So we medicate. We look to other things just to make the voices go away. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's sex. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's status. Maybe it's living vicariously through your kids to make sure they have this successful life. Right? These things promise, the voices promise things that we want, right? If we feel like, we, if I can just have that, the voices will go away, but it never lives up to the promises it makes. So these things begin to know us, the second one here, they begin to know us, get our claws in us, and we become enslaved to those things just to make the voices go away. I just want to be loved. I just want to be thought of as successful. I just want to be able to post something on social media and get a couple of likes like this other person gets all these likes. Right? These things can't deliver on what they promise. Third, and then, they, and then we follow him. We give our lives to them. We succumb to them. We end up giving ourselves over masters and gods, and we become just chasers of that thing. Whatever that voice is, whatever that voice leads you into, rather than having a relationship with God and Jesus, the good shepherd, we give ourselves over to these things that steal our joy, rob us of worth, and, make, and turn us into people that are just enslaved for the next high, the next hit of love, the next hit of value, the next hit of worth. And we keep pursuing that over and over and over. Okay, so we just need to be aware of that. right? This is us as just raw, normal human beings. But we have to be aware of it before we combat it. Now, how do we combat it? Stay in this verse. Let's go back. Hear my voice. What does this look like? Well, God primarily speaks through his word. So it's actually spending time in his word and hearing his voice through his word, through the spirit inside of us and the spirit that inspires God's word. And here's some of the things you'll hear. And I could go on for days, but here's some things you'll hear from Jesus in his word. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I will give you rest for your souls. 
My peace I give you. Do not be afraid. I have overcome the world. I am with you till the end of the age. Paul says, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. It's in Romans. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that. So we hear these things from God's word. If we will stop and listen, and like Colossians, set our sights on things above. Pursue the things that are above. These are the voices we will begin to hear. Maybe they're whispering right now to you, and you haven't put those other things aside to actually listen to the voice of truth, the voice of God, the voice of the Spirit. So we hear his voice. We make time to hear his voice. Second, I know them. Okay, so Jesus knows us well. When we listen to his voice over the voice of others, we begin to experience his love for us. If you were to tell me in this, if you were in this room, you were to tell me, well, I just don't feel like he loves me. I don't experience that very often. The first thing I would say is, are you setting time aside to actually hear his voice? Are you hearing the voice of truth? Are you hearing the, the comforting words over you rather than the voices of the enemy or of your flesh or of your baggage from the past? Are you listening to his voice? That's how we experience his love. This word know in the original language is the word gnosko. And that word gnosko, that, that, that word for knowledge is the most intimate form of knowledge that could be. It's the same word Mary says to the angel when the angel says, you have conceived and you'll have a child. She says, that's impossible. I haven't known gnosko, Joseph. So this is an intimate word. Right? This is the, the highest level of knowledge you can have for someone. And here's the deal. Arguably, the, the greatest fear for every human being is to be fully known. I mean, fully exposed, like fully like bare naked in every way. All of our baggage, all of our junk, all of our thoughts, all of our feelings laid out for someone else to see. Oftentimes, that's our greatest fear. So we hide, we put on masks, we fake it, because we don't want people to know the real us. It's really, really scary. Something Tim Keller has said, he has said, but the greatest dream of, of a human being is to be fully known in all those ways, but to still be fully loved. That's the dream, right? To be fully known in all of our warts, all of our baggage, all of our mess. And that person that's seeing all those things says, I love you, and I care for you, and I want you, and you're mine. That is such good news to, to my heart when I want to hide, when I want to fake it. And the shepherd, because he's a good shepherd, his job is to know the sheep well. Right? A shepherd, their whole job is you better know those sheep. You better know how many. You better know their wounds. You better know their tendencies because your job is to keep the, the sheep safe. That's what a shepherd's job is. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, he knows everything about us, and he still loves us. All of our junk. He loves us at our worst. And those, based off those first two, here's the third. They follow me. Who wouldn't want to follow somebody like that? Who wouldn't want to follow someone who knows everything about them and still welcomes them in? Yes, you are still one of my sheep. Follow me. Okay, where are we going? Where are we going? We can listen to the, we can hear the hard things of Scripture and say yes. I know for me, I have struggles wanting people's approval. Like I, I need the attaboys, maybe like some of you in the room. I'm like on five love languages, I'm a words of affirmation guy. On the Enneagram, I'm a three. Like, I want to be praised for what I do. That's my problem. I have a problem with that. And so, but when, I, when that's, my, that's what fuels me, all my life is dependent upon how other people view me. Like, how, how much, that's slavery, right? My joy is dependent upon what people think about what I do. 
That's a horrible way to live. Maybe some of you are there like me. But if I know and I can trust that I am loved by God and that I am a, I'm a sheep and he protects me and he loves me and he knows me, I get his approval, then I can rest in that. I don't have to perform for other people. I can be myself. I don't have to fake it. I don't have to look to other people to give me that, that, that bump of feeling like I'm loved or cared for. No, I get that in God. Other things, I can die to myself. I can love my enemies. I can stand for my faith when it may cost me. I can give away my resources. I can care for the marginalized even when it may hurt me. All those things that are hard, the, the hard parts of the Christian life, we can do that because we hear his voice and we know him and he knows us and we can follow him. Right? Another great biblical example of this is Jonah. Jonah's called by God. He hears God's voice, or he knows God's calling him to Nineveh. He says, no, 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 I want to listen to the other voices, though. I want to go this way. I don't want anything to do with God saving the Ninevites because I hate them. So he goes. God is gracious to him, though. You know, he knocks him out of the boat, basically, and saves him through the fish, puts him back on dry land. And Jonah's like, okay, I'll follow you. Like, even begrudgingly a little bit, he says, I'll go, and I'll preach the gospel to the Ninevites, Right? He listened, he wasn't listening to God's voice, and it led him to a certain place. And he started listening to God's voice, and it led him a different way. And all of these things should be done, or done in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the part of the Trinity that we haven't gotten to today, because this passage doesn't get there. But in a few weeks, the passage definitely gets to the Holy Spirit, and definitely gets more into the Trinity. So we'll come back to this idea in a few weeks. But to wrap up, that we've already seen the application. Verse 27 is the application, right? We listen. How do we do that? We spend time with Jesus. It's probably going to involve the Word, the Bible. It's probably going to involve prayer, both ways, talking and listening. And it's probably going to involve some silence and solitude, which we talked about. You're probably not going to be able to hear God's voice in our day and age in our culture unless you plan on it and get away from your screens and your, your alerts. And anything else that's going to distract you, get away consistently in His Word and in prayer. That's how we listen. We're hearing all these other voices all the time. Whether we like it or not, commercials, podcasts, shows we watch, radio, I mean, our, our people, our Instagram, our feeds, whatever. We're hearing these voices no matter what. We better hear other, we better hear the tr voice of truth. We better hear that voice as well to combat those other voices. Number two, we pursue knowing him as he has done, done with us. We pursue him. We, we chase after him. We, we, we try to know him. We want to we know the deep things of God. We, want to, we see the Trinity, and that doesn't scare us. We're intrigued. We, tell, we want to know more about the Trinity. So we dig a little bit. We learn. And lastly, we, we follow. We do, we do what he does, right? We look at what the things that Jesus did in the Scriptures, and we do those same things because we follow him. The way he treated people, the way he loved people, the way he spoke to people, the way he laid down his life for people, we do the same thing, right? We listen, we pursue, and we follow. We do this as community as the church. And I know we have a lot of families in here, Families, these are, this is a great little um, rubric or like outline to go through with your kids, right? We teach them to listen, we teach them to know, and we teach them to follow, right? The, 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 you're sent home with lots of stuff um, every week, lots of resourcing, especially in parents in this church. We resource you to take those tools and run those tools, whatever you got. Maybe that's a catechism question, we run it through. How are you hearing God? How are you pursuing God based off how you're hearing him? And then how are you going to follow him? and do what he's calling you to do in his word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love your word. We love passages like this that are so simple and straightforward that based off of who you are, we should listen, we should know you, and we should follow you. 
And I pray you would help us do that. That is so much easier said than done, which is why you give us the Spirit. I pray that we would trust in the Spirit to lead us, to guide us, that we lay down our preferences for the preferences of the Spirit and how you're leading us. I pray we would set time aside, even if it's just five minutes to begin with, time where our, where our, our minds are set on things that are above and our sights are set on you and our ears are, 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 are tuned to you and not to the other thousands of noises that we hear on a daily basis. But help, help us, help us know you more, help us listen to you more, help us follow you to a greater degree. And we love you and it's in your son's name we pray, amen.